Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word in the Bible. Lord, thank you for the privilege that it is to have it opened and explained. And we pray that you would be at work in our hearts. Lord, please humble us. Lord, we pray that um, we would find humility um, to admit our wrongs. And Lord, we pray that we would find joy um, to rejoice in all that Jesus has done for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to read from uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, but it's beginning uh, from the second part of uh, verse 73 in chapter 7. And so if, uh, from the Church Bibles, this is on page 389, and we're starting from the, the heading, Ezra Reads the Law. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in, in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from, from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbathiah, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink. 
to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had now understood the words that had been made known to them. Um, if you think about churches around the world, we're all very similar in how we do things. Um, we meet one day of the week, uh, we open the Bible, we have it read, explained, applied. But why do we just keep doing the same thing? Year in, year out, I mean, why not mix it up a bit? Why not look at something else other than the Bible? Why not, you know, spice things up just that little bit? I think what happens when churches meet with the Bible open, expecting that God will speak to our hearts, I don't think that's normal behaviour. It's not normal at all. Gathering to hear God's word, it's not normal. It's something which God makes happen, makes his people gather, works in our hearts, convicts us of the truth of his word. It's the result of God's work in us that means we keep meeting, opening God's word. People taking God's word to heart is something that God makes happen. And so what the Israelites did in Nehemiah chapter 8, yeah, it's remarkably similar to what Christians do every week when we meet for church. So if you look at 8 verse 1, it says there all the people gathered together as one in the square before the water gate. They're gathering as one group. Then it says they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. They, they asked Ezra to go and get God's word to open it for them. Then if you read on in verse 2, it's the seventh month. We've worked through Ezra. We're into Nehemiah. I'm going to get those names confused as we go through this sermon. But you would have noticed the seventh month already in Ezra. It's the month when they would celebrate Passover, the, the, the week of booths. It's the seventh month. Um, Ezra brings out the law in verse 2. Which was made up uh, so the, the, before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. So this big group of people gathered; those who could understand. I wonder if they had capacity kids for the younger ones who couldn't understand, maybe. But in verse three, he read from he read aloud from daybreak till noon. That's a little bit different to us, just a tiny bit. Keep looking at it in, in verse 4. Ezra, the teacher of the law, he stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. We could raise this lectern back up onto the stage if we want to. Um, down in verse 7, the Levites are mentioned. Look at what they do. They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. It's not identical to what we do when we meet as a church, but it's very similar, isn't it? Opening God's word, having it read, explained, applied. When people take God's word to heart, though, that's God at work. That's God at work in our hearts, taking his word, applying it to us. Um, God was at work back then, on that day, in the seventh month, when they gathered as one, and God's at work now, here in church, over in Cape Sea Kids and at lots of other churches. God is at work opening his word and making it cut to your heart. In Nehemiah chapter 8, taking God's word to heart like the people did, it led to transformation, it led to renewal, and it led to them making a recommitment to God. 
Um, we'll discover next week, when we look at the very end of Nehemiah, that it didn't last too long, because this is all happening under the old covenant. Jesus hasn't come, he hasn't dealt with the problem with sin, and so it does reoccur, but that's next week's sermon. Before we look a little bit closer at Nehemiah 8, let me remind you of where we're up to. Uh, we've been looking through Ezra, we've finished the book of Ezra last week, and we've now jumped ahead into Nehemiah chapter 8. If you're in growth group, you've been working your way through Nehemiah. Um, this, this is a very, very short sort of introduction to Nehemiah, and I should have added at the, at the beginning, when Steve and Riker are away, I, I find that my sermons are shorter, so just keep that in mind. Um, the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they may have originally been one. They're very interconnected all the way through. Together they give you the account of the return from exile. So the people of um, Judah and Benjamin and some of the Levites come back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding. They rebuild the temple, and you get the account of that all the way through Ezra, along with the people being rebuilt, if you want to call it that. And then in Nehemiah, you get the account of the walls being rebuilt. Israel, they were in exile because they failed to take God's word to heart. They failed to do what they're doing this time in Nehemiah 8. What they did is they ignored God's word. They started to live like the nations around, and so God used the nations around to punish them. He took them into exile. The return from exile, it began... That's probably a more helpful thing for you to see. Um, it began in the first year of Cyrus, who took over Persia. And so Ezra opens with those two miracles in Ezra chapter 1, the way that God worked in the heart of Cyrus, the pagan king, and caused him to want to see the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt. And then God worked in the hearts of his people, the second miracle in, in chapter 1, and caused some of them to want to go back and work on the temple. This process of building God's house, it was slow. They met with lots of opposition. They were led astray, and so God sent his prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to keep calling them back and keep them working. Then finally, in Ezra chapter 6, the temple's finished. Um, Seventy years after the edict to return that Cyrus gave, along comes Ezra. God's at work again, sends Ezra, the teacher of God's law, the priest, sends him back to Jerusalem to start um, reforming the people, I guess. And the book of Ezra finishes, though, on that low point that we saw last week where they begun to mingle with the nations around again, even intermarrying with the nations around. Ezra's work is ongoing. About 20 years after Ezra first arrived in Jerusalem, Nehemiah comes along. And as you open the book of Nehemiah, it reads like his personal diary. He's a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He hears news that the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls has stalled, and so he gets permission to go back and help the, the rebuilding of the walls. And in chapter 7, the walls are completed, and so now we come to where we're at in chapter 8. That's a kind of very quick flyover. But when you come to chapter 8, and the reason why we've gone from Ezra straight into chapter 8 of Nehemiah is Ezra's here again. You see Ezra still at work. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8, 9, and 10 show the way that God reforms his people. Um, it's a high point. They get so many things right. In chapter 8, we, we read Ezra about Ezra preaching and teaching the people and the way they respond appropriately. In chapter 9, you have a, a great big prayer, a confession. In chapter 10, you have their recommitment. But we're just looking at chapter 8, at the people and the way that they take God's law to heart or God's word to heart. Nehemiah, in chapter 8, he reads aloud from the law of Moses, it says. And usually when you see that, you can think 
the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. If you've been reading your way through the Bible on that two-year reading plan, you're still in Genesis. That will give you appreciation that I don't think Nehemiah, I mean, I don't think Ezra covered the whole lot from, what was it, morning, dawn till noon. But he would have been in among those first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Not sure how much he covered, but as he went through that, he would have been giving the people a history of their nation, where they came from, the way that God made them for a purpose, the way that God made his promises to Abraham, the way that God saved them from slavery in Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai as his own people. And the way, the stuff we saw at last week, the way God said he wants them to be his holy people. And they say yes. And so through Moses, he gives laws and instructions for how they should live. So they would live in a way that will mark them out as holy, as belonging to God. And then there were the promises in God's law, the promises that in the land, if they keep the covenant, they'll be blessed. Things will go fantastic for them. But if they fail to take God's law to heart, they'll be punished by the nations around just as they have been. Ezra would have been reading bits and pieces of all that. And even as I've run you through it, you can appreciate how it would be cutting to the heart if they're really listening, and they were. So look at what happened in Nehemiah 8, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Um, weeping is an appropriate response, isn't it? If you think about where this nation is up to, how far short they've fallen of God's expectations of them, their humility and their guilt, to weep is a normal expected thing to do. And I'm guessing that's why it happened here. It seems that many of the Israelites hadn't heard the word of the Lord for many years, if at all. There'd been a drought of it for them. Um, if you think about the time frames involved, I mean, we've had a queen who's ruled for 70 years. It's that sort of time frame that they've been back in Jerusalem, maybe longer. Now that they have Ezra and the Levites reading God's law to them, explaining it so they can understand it, they're moved to tears. And I presume it's because they're aware of their failings. They understand the mess they've created. That was back then when they heard God's law, God's word. And what about now? I mean, you can see the parallels, can't you? As we read God's word, shouldn't we expect a similar response to hearing about our guilt? In a few weeks' time, we'll, we'll start working through Romans 1 to 5. Romans chapters 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul spends three chapters showing that everybody is by nature sinful. We all suppress the truth about God. We all ignore God and live our own way. As you read through Romans 1 to 3, it, it's like the Apostle Paul's describing Brisbane in 2022. When you open God's word and take it to heart, you can expect your failings to be made plain. But look again at verse 9. So chapter 8, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor... Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. The natural reaction when they understand where they stand before God is to weep and they're saying, don't. This is God's day. 
Or again in verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have not, nothing to prepare. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or again in verse 11, The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Or in verse 12, Then all the people, they went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and, um, to, and to celebrate with great joy because they understood the words that had been made known to them. When you understand your sinfulness, yes, it drives you um, to humility and to an awareness of your sin and maybe to weeping, but when you understand that God hasn't forsaken you, that's great news. And I think that's what they finally understand in, in, in verse 12. Time and time again, God has been caring for his people. He made promises to Abraham and he's faithful to them. He's given them the law. It's just been read. God is at work in them, helping them see and understand the truth. That's what it was like back then. And again, it's the same for us now. You keep reading through Romans. You understand how sinful we are. You come to the middle of chapter 3. And in the middle of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says that God has found a way to declare sinful people righteous through Jesus' death in our place. Taking God's word to heart back then and taking God's word to heart now, it's a similar deal, isn't it? Has the same effect. Transforms and renews our hearts. And so when you come to Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, after 11 chapters of explaining the way God has showed his mercy, he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your lives as living sacrifices to God. And that's pretty much what the Israelites do in chapters 9 and 10. They turn around. They take this to heart. They're driven to tears by their sinfulness. They're reassured by God's faithfulness. They find great joy in the way that God has not forsaken them. And then they um, recommit themselves to living for God. And so as they start to keep listening to God's word, they come to verse 13. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the, the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival on the seventh month. So now they're trying to put into practice everything that they find in God's law. It's that seventh month, seventh month that you met back in Ezra. Time for the Feast of Weeks, uh, the Feast of Booths, the week-long it's all in, in memory of the Passover and the escape from Egypt. In verse 17, it says, The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in, in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. It's a high point in the nation of Israel. Yeah, they're, they're de depleted, they're small, but they've turned back to God. They're striving to live for him. But as we'll see next week, it was short-lived because they're still under the old covenant. Jesus hasn't come, hasn't dealt with the problem or the root cause of sin. But still, there's so much we can learn, isn't there, from what happened that day in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's just as important for us today to take God's word to heart. And we know that as that happens, it's God at work. It's not us. It's not normal for us to behave in that way. We have every reason to delight in the word of the Lord, to find joy in it. Once you understand your sinfulness, you're that much more appreciative of the gospel of grace in Jesus. And so as we think about where we're at, as you look at the situa situation in Nehemiah chapter 8, 
well, the obvious questions to be asking yourself is, have you been neglecting opening God's word? Because if you're not opening God's word, how are you going to take it to heart? How is God going to take his word and cut to your heart if you've neglected reading it, neglected opening it, neglected listening to it, neglected mixing with other Christians where you engage around God's word, help each other understand it? Another obvious question to be asking is, are you taking God's word to heart? Are you taking it seriously? Or is it like water off a duck's back? You know, that parable that Jesus tells about the seed. Where do you fit in there? And I suppose the harder questions are ones like, do we take enough time to mourn our sin? And to rejoice in God's grace and God's mercy. When you read through um, Ephesians, which we looked at at church recently, and you look at the Apostle Paul's joy when he talks about the Ephesian Christians and the way he prays for them, giving thanks that God's at work in them, you know, is that the kind of joy we have when we know that God's at work in us and with those around us? Um, if you've been reading through the Bible in two years, yeah, well, that's one helpful way to keep God's word open. It's just one way, though. We can keep helping each other in so many ways. But if you have been doing that, you would have come to uh, Psalm 19 and you would have come to verse 7. And I'm going to read these few verses and then I'm going to pray that God would continue to work in us through his word. So Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the law are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have put us in a privileged position. We thank you that you have made it possible for each one of us to hear the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to neglect opening your word and allowing you to be at work in our hearts. Lord, we pray that We would be taking your word to heart, that you would be convicting us of our sin, driving us to our knees before Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would be helping us find real joy and forgiveness and new life in him as well. And Father, we pray that as a church, that we would stay focused, that we would keep teaching your word and living for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.